everybody. Welcome to episode 157 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Jumo, and this episode takes us back to Superboy, season one, episodes seven and eight, The Beast and Beauty, and The Fixer. I do believe that after I clear these two episodes, these are the last episodes of season one that I have seen. If you'll recall at the uh, onset of Superboy coverage, I had mentioned that I had started a few years ago to rewatch the series and I kind of, you know, kind of fell off after about eight episodes. And uh, I do remember The Fixer because it has a unique ending with Superboy refereeing a basketball game. That's the kind of thing you remember. And it's kind of interesting. And I'll talk about this more when I cover that particular episode is I don't remember liking that episode very much when I watched it. And I think I just kind of got overall got a little frustrated with the first season and stopped. But to be totally honest. I enjoyed The Fixer far more than I expected to. The The Beast of Beauty, not so much, but The Fixer was a better episode. But before we get into this week's coverage, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 146. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. It was fun for this old Silver Age fan to have the Royal Flush Gang show up in The Wild Cards. As foes of the Justice League... Rather than a collection of individual foes of the individual heroes, the way the Legion of Doom were, they seem more of a team, and might have a better chance of defeating them by acting like a team, rather than bickering with each other. Of course, that doesn't always work out well for them in the end, but there's at least a chance. As soon as the villain's headquarters was called the House of Cards, I waited to the pun about falling like a house of cards, and you didn't disappoint. I kind of wanted one of the prospective Royal Flush Gang, when they heard the name Ace, ask, what kind of joker would name his base House of Cards? You know those always fall, don't you? The 22-minute length for this story was good and allowed the story to develop well, I thought. Brainchild was interesting because Brainiac realized that he needed the human element to defeat the heroes. He didn't realize that his that this same human element could thwart his plan, too. Brainiac may have a 12th-level intellect, but sometimes he can be remarkably stupid. The case of the stolen superpowers was quite intriguing for its combination of Penguin and Felix Faust, a really unexpected duo. You noted that not but not only were they permitted to wear their regular outfits in prison, but Penguin even had an umbrella. I was surprised at that end that after being recaptured, these two were once again put together in the same cell. That doesn't seem like a good idea either. When Penguin got Superman's powers, it reminded me of the Ring Toss episode of the animated series The Batman, in which the Penguin gets a hold of Hal Jordan's power ring and causes chaos, both criminal and comical, by trying to figure out how to use it. These were three solid stories, I think, and I hope this season ends strong. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. And uh, I really don't have a ton to add about Dave's uh, comments on wild cards, because, you know, I agree with most of his points. And, yes, the uh, the Royal Flush Gang, at least in the comics, tends to act more like a team, but these guys seem to be more of a group that the Joker kind of just uh, orchestrated and... Uh, put them together at least if i'm remembering this correctly they didn't grow uh organically as as you would expect such a team to do and i'm glad i didn't disappoint you by uh bringing on the house of cards uh pun as you know i don't disappoint with a bad pun that is for sure i don't know if i was really too big on the joker being the one who puts the royal flush gang together even though the playing card motif and the joker does seem to work well together it was a decent story. The 22-minute story length was good. I believe there was a dark side element in there that just kind of seemed uh, thrown in, but I really don't have a ton to add about the wild cards. I mean, it was a decent story, just nothing at this point that I have anything further to say about. Brainchild was definitely one of the more interesting episodes of the three, and uh, I don't think Brainiac really uh, not expected the human element to uh, defeat the heroes. I think maybe what would have been better for him is to kind of learn emotion and kind of integrate it into his programming instead of trying to absorb a sentient being. Once uh, Cyborg took up residence in Brainiac, uh, he had his own uh, agenda and he was able to thwart Brainiac. And yes, uh, Dave's absolutely right. A 12th level intellect can be remarkably stupid at times, which is something that seems to happen in 80s cartoons quite a bit. If you watch any episode of He-Man or Thundercats, those are the two cartoons of that time that I grew that I watched a lot of growing up. Watch an episode. The bad guys tend to beat themselves. Even if the heroes do nothing, the criminals will beat themselves because they can be remarkably stupid. Just watch, you'll see. It's like the, you know, when people say that Raiders of the Lost Ark 
Indiana Jones is completely ineffectual. I don't buy that, but people say that. Well, I don't want to say the heroes in in 80s cartoons are, are ineffectual, but they're pretty much irrelevant because, because they can't get along or are stupid. The criminals just can't get out of their own way. And yes, the case of, of the stolen superpowers was quite intriguing. The one thing I liked, and Dave didn't mention it here about the combination of Penguin and Felix Faust, is it wasn't a team-up. They were at odds with each other just as much as the Super Friends. It wasn't a Penguin and Felix Faust take on the Super Friends type of thing. It was almost like Super Friends versus Felix Faust versus the Penguin. And yeah, it uh, it's kind of weird that they get to keep their uh, regular clothes and Penguin's umbrella in jail. And they probably shouldn't uh, have been put in the same cell back together. But you know what? We needed some uh, bickering between the two to end the episode. As far as this episode of the Batman that... Dave mentions, Dave may or may, may not be surprised to know that I have never seen the Batman. Honestly, I've really seen very little of the animated shows beyond the DC animated universe. And I don't even think I saw Justice League Unlimited through to the end. I think after a while, I kind of lost track of it. I didn't watch any animated DC really after that. So I have not seen the Batman. I... Have never seen. I think there's one called Beware the Batman. I think I've watched maybe an episode or two of Batman Brave and the Bold, but DC animation kind of fell off my radar in the early 2000s. The only animation I did watch was the Green Lantern show on Cartoon Network, uh, probably somewhere between 2011 and 2013. But beyond that, not a whole lot. But yes, I do agree. These were some solid stories. And honestly, it's been so long ago, I don't recall if the season ended strong. I guess I'll find out next week when I read Dave's letter. Anyway, thank you, Dave, for writing in. You want to write in too? Manascreen at gmail.com. Right now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with the Superboy episode, The Beast, and The Beauty. Hang around, folks. Love him or hate him, everybody's got something to say about John Byrne. He ruined the X-Men when he left. That John Byrne, he's a sexist pig. The only thing bigger than John Byrne's ego is... Oh, wait, there isn't anything bigger than John Byrne's ego. John Byrne, oh, he he just draws the greatest butt on Superman. It looks so good. John Byrne is the greatest artist I've ever seen. Wait, who is he? John Byrne's 1986 Man of Steel series gave us the core reimagining of Superman that is still with us today. Third Degree Burn, a podcast about all things John Byrne. The good, the bad, and the legendary. Join Tim Elliott and Brian Hughes as they look over the nearly five decades body of work of one of the most influential comic book creators in the last 50 years. Third Degree Burn can be found at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes. I got a question though, I just am curious. Why? Doesn't Green Lantern have any junk? Welcome back, folks. We're going to start off with the Superboy episode, The Beast and Beauty. I guess uh, the opposite, Beauty and the Beast, was taken by somebody. I I could not tell you. This is episode 7 of season 1. Original broadcast date was November 19th, 1988. This was directed by Jackie Cooper, who we know as Perry White in the four Christopher Reeve Superman movies. At this point, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, had come and gone with... Less than a whimper. This episode was written by Bernard Kahn and Toby Martin. Our guest cast is Don Barber as the MC, Rick Higley as the cop, David Marciano as Hugo Stone, Ted Millican as the announcer, Jeff Moldovan as Rudy, Tom Nowicki as the security guard, Roger Prito as Detective Harris, 
Alana Shaw as Jennifer Jenkins. She's uh, Miss Florida. Cindy Vecino as the woman. And Tanya Roberts as the college student. I believe we're going to see Tanya Roberts a few times as the college student through the course of, at the very least, this season. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A guy in a Superboy suit burgled a jewelry store. As the crime is taking place, we hear a news report telling us how violent crimes are down greatly and that thanks should go out to the police. The fake Superboy beats up a security guard and then goes to his desk to watch this next story about the first ever Southeastern beauty pageant while several other burglars take all the jewels. Here they are, folks. Fifteen of the world's most beautiful girls entered in the first Southeastern beauty pageant. And they pay me to do this. Here's the beautiful Tracy Cummings. Miss Georgia. The lovely Miss Leslie Hepburn. Miss Alabama. And the gorgeous Jennifer Jenkins. Miss Florida. Hey, Superboy, we could use some help in here. You said come back when I had a million bucks. Well, baby, it won't be long now. Later, at the police station, the security guard tells the police that Superboy attacked him. You what, Zeke? I've never been hit so hard in my life. I gotta get an x-ray this morning. I think it's busted. And you're absolutely sure it was Superboy? I just don't understand it. Why would Superboy steal half a million dollars worth of diamonds? The kid's strong enough to compress coal and make his own. Are you calling me a liar? All I'm saying is that you could be mistaken. He was wearing Superboy's outfit. Yeah, and maybe you were hit so hard you're hallucinating. Well, who else could melt open a vault like that? I just can't believe it. Well, it's hard for me to believe, too. But one thing's for sure, nobody, not even Superboy, is above the law. Yes, Lieutenant. Put out an APB on Superboy. Meanwhile, Clark and TJ interview with Florida for the school paper because she went to Schuster University. As the two friends are driving back from the interview, they hear on the radio that the police are in pursuit of suspects in a high-speed chase. TJ joins the chase, and he and Clark follow the action, keeping up pretty well until Clark, feeling things have gone on long enough, uses his heat vision to give he and TJ's vehicle a blowout. Clark then pretends to drop the spare tire into a nearby pond, and when TJ waits in to get it, Clark speeds off to become Superboy and stop the chase. En route, though, Superboy sees the chase hasn't gone well as the police have crashed and their car is on fire. Superboy lands and pulls the men from the police car and carries them from harm's way, just as the car explodes. There's no time for explanations, gentlemen. I've got some unfinished business to attend to. You're not going anywhere, Superboy. You're under arrest for armed robbery. Why, Superboy? Why did you do it? If I were guilty, Lieutenant, why would I let them bring me in? I don't know, but we have some witnesses that place you at the scene of both crimes. Did they say I flew? Did I use any of my superpowers? Did I bend steel with my bare hands? Well, there are some indications of that. Lieutenant, someone is impersonating me committing serious crimes. I've got to find him. Look, I know no jail will hold you against your will. So I'm asking you to give me your word that you won't break out. I won't break out. Let me out of my own recognizance. I... I can't. Look, the department's been under attack, and uh, they're saying that we're soft on crime. Lieutenant. Armed robbery is a serious charge. For anybody else, we'd set bail at 10000 But I'll talk to the DA and make it 500 for you. Where am I going to get $500? Can I make a phone call? Thank you. Clark Kent, please. Uh, he's not here. This is TJ. Uh, who's calling? Superboy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Now I'm Robert Redford. Listen, I haven't got time for games. I got some pictures developing. So, uh, who is this? Did Robert Redford save you from being crushed to death in a junkyard? Oh. <laughs> Gee, Superboy. Um, I don't, I don't know where Clark is. I'm looking for him myself, actually. TJ, I, um, I need your help. I'm down at police headquarters, and there's been a little misunderstanding. I need to borrow some money for bail. You need to be bailed out of jail? It's a long story. I'll tell you about it when you get here. Right. 
TJ arrives with Lana with the money, and he's soon free. Just as that happens, Harris asks Superboy for help, and Harris and Superboy have to find the vehicle the crooks used, and TJ and Lana go their separate ways. TJ, because he thinks Clark went to see Miss Florida again, heads off to the pageant where Miss Florida and two other girls have just been announced as finalists. When Miss Florida goes back to her dressing room, she's accosted by Hugo, our fake Superboy. Jennifer. Hugo? Why are you dressed as Superboy? Why? Don't you remember? You said you were crazy about him. Oh, come on. That was a fantasy crush, like on a movie star. You wanted Superboy, and now you got him. Hugo, why don't you leave me alone? You promised to marry me if I came up with a million dollars. Where would you get a million dollars? Don't underestimate me. We're getting married, and a deal's a deal. Hugo, I wouldn't marry you if you had all the money in the world! Put me down! TJ, who's just arrived in the parking lot of the arena and called the police because he recognized the suspect's car, sees Hugo carrying the beauty queen, and he attempts to intervene. Hugo KOs him with one punch and drives away with Miss Florida as his hostage. Superboy arrives at the, at the arena to see that TJ is being attended to after being punched. TJ tells him that he overheard the fake Superboy say he was taking Jennifer somewhere over the river, so Superboy takes off once again. After arriving at their hideout where one of his partners is counting the money, Hugo tells his friend to watch Jennifer while he goes and finds a minister. Hugo heads back out into the well-known criminal vehicle, but when he begins to cross the bridge, Superboy activates the machinery that separates it, and Hugo is trapped on a separated extension. Where are you hiding, Jennifer? It's for me to know and for you to find out. That won't be hard. You running around impersonating me, it's obviously gone to your head. Sure, big deal. With all your superhuman powers, of course it wouldn't be a fair fight. But if you fought without him, a plain fight, man to man, that'd be another story. That could be arranged. You serious? You wouldn't use any of your superpowers? Not one, I promise. Hugo first punches Superboy and hurts his fist. <laughs> you expected a glass jaw? Then Hugo tries to kick Superboy in the shin and hurts his foot. <laughs> More feet of clay. Next, Hugo charges, and when Superboy steps easily aside, Hugo falls off the bridge and hurtles toward the water below. Help! Superboy! I gave you my word I wouldn't use any superpowers. I released you! And you'll tell me where Jennifer is? Anything! Superboy catches him after making sure he's released from his promise. I'm not using the power to take the So, this episode starts with a new opening. Gone is the cheap-looking opening of Superboy flying over the water and the bridge. And what has replaced it is one with clips of the actors' faces kind of inside the S-Shield and clips from the show. It's much better. It takes away some of the cheapness, even though the shot of Superboy flying away from the bridge remains. I wonder what took so long to get this opening sequence in. Maybe it took too long to get the required footage. I don't know, but there it is. So the episode starts with a radio report about the new sports arena. I'm not sure if it has any relevance, at least immediately, but the uh, security guard here is a fake Superboy come in and he basically gets beat up. And the, the fake Superboy makes a good show of things. And it's easy to tell if you're watching this that it's a fake Superboy. The, the character whose name we're going to find out is Hugo looks nothing like John Haynes Newton. Yeah, the costume is there and the hair is the same color, but you could tell uh, this character's hair is different enough. It's not Superboy. And we don't know why at first, but the fake Superboy is clearly interested in the beauty pageant. So, Detective Harris is uh, questioning the security guard. If you remember Detective Harris, he appeared in the A Kind of Princess episode. So apparently the security guard has not gotten his neck checked out yet. He's uh, busy being interrogated by Detective Harris here. The guard is positive that he was attacked by Superboy, and... He has no reason to believe otherwise. The fake Superboy was pretty convincing, I thought. However, Harris is not buying it. He knows Superboy. He knows Superboy would not do these things. But I guess he, uh, the security guard has not had any run-ins with Superboy previously. So he is a little more skeptical. So Clark, meanwhile, while all this is going on, is kind of living a college student's dream uh, covering the beauty pageant. And he's kind of giving this awkward smile as the uh, women walk by in their swimsuits. TJ is uh, taking pictures of everyone, and uh, he's only being a little bit creepy here. He, uh, Clark is giving off that kind of uh, awkwardness while TJ is just going uh, full horn dog here. So apparently, uh, Miss Florida, her name is Jennifer Jenkins. She went to uh, Schuster University, and uh, Clark is somewhat flustered uh, to be talking to her. Actually, he's so flustered that it's kind of hard to watch, to be totally honest. So the fake Superboy and an accomplice robbed a uh, with either a bank or a jewelry store, and they're doing some impressive maneuvers with that freight van. You know, those things have a, 
are very awkward, especially if they're empty. Maybe there's a little more full, but if those things are empty, it's very easy to tip them. So some of the maneuvers they're doing with this old uh, freight van are, I don't know, but just not buying that the van could handle these things. So TJ is uh, kind of out of it. He, even as he's driving, he's, his brain or other parts of his body are thinking more about Miss Florida than anything else. So we've got a car chase going on, and uh, Clark and TJ seem to just happen to be in the area because, of course, they are. Apparently, uh, the Schuster van has a police scanner because when Clark turned something on, it wasn't the radio. He's not getting uh, the 1988 Top 40. He's getting uh, the police band. And for this show's budget, it's not a bad chase. Not something I would have expected, to be totally honest, but it does go on a little long. I found myself as I was watching this. Despite the note-taking, I was kind of getting a little bit bored with the chase. So needing to get away, Clark blows out the tire on the van he and TJ are in. And <laughs> this is rather amusing as he gets the tire out of uh, the back and kind of rolls it into the water and uh, kind of gives TJ the uh, the uh, shucks uh, motif and uh, basically leaves TJ in the lurch to go into the pond after the uh, runaway tire. You would think you would have asked Clark why well, he didn't go chase it, but nope, there's TJ going into the water not paying any attention to the fact that Clark is disappearing. If only TJ would look behind him once in a while. So Clark takes a skateboard and changes into Superboy doing a shirt rip while on the board and coming toward the camera. I'm not sure why he needed to do that aside from uh, the director or or director of photography thought that it was a good shot or that it looked cool. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but I can't imagine why uh, Clark would think doing that is a good idea. You know, it's like when Clark uh, opened his shirt and holds it open. Nah, he wouldn't do that. He would just uh, pull it open and complete his change. So now Superboy is going to hopefully end this long chase, but not not before saving uh, these cops just as their car explodes. And the cops are going to show how grateful they are for being rescued by arresting Superboy because he's the only suspect in the robbery. And uh, Superboy, I think, plays this a little poorly. I mean, maybe he should have just you know, maybe tried to tell me that he didn't do it and not really kind of get mouthy with the cops, which he does. So now he's telling the lieutenant that he didn't do it, but since the the department is seen as soft on crime, they seem to be showing how tough they are on crime by arresting Superboy. And Superboy is, of course, uh, playing along. This is not something... He does not take getting arrested lightly. He won't break the law to escape. He will get out of jail the right way. Although I will say, as he's trying to call TJ to uh, bail him out of jail, (laughs) it's funny having to... Seeing Superboy kind of awkwardly uh, ask for a quarter. We'll see something similar to this in Lois and Clark when Superman is arrested. He gets his phone call and uh, the cop who's processing him tosses him the quarter without him asking. But Harris just kind of gives Superboy a quarter because eh, where would Superboy hide a quarter in that outfit? So he calls TJ to uh, bail him out. And uh, and TJ is rightly skeptical here because, I mean, why would Superboy call TJ and... Well, technically, Superboy didn't call TJ. He called for Clark. He called Clark Kent, but obviously he wanted TJ because he knew Clark Kent wouldn't be there. And I like how the show uses some continuity to prove to TJ that Superboy's on the other end of the phone, as Superboy mentions uh, references back to Oblivion when he uh, saved TJ from uh, Old Man Wagner's scrapyard. So I do like that the show you know, played at least some lip service to its own continuity. So Superboy, is now that he's uh, been bailed out of jail by Lana, who uh, somehow got 500 bucks. I don't know if she had an honor, if it's her money, or if she did a fundraiser. It seemed awful quick for a low-tech uh, GoFundMe, but, you know, you, you never know. Maybe people heard Superboy was in trouble. They just threw money at Lana. I don't know. So now Superboy is going to help the cops as soon as he's out of custody. Because that's what Superboy does. So... Miss Florida wins the pageant, you know, nothing like a home state advantage. So TJ notices immediately that the robber's blue van is there. And at first when I was watching it, I wasn't sure if he noticed, but, you know, he noticed because he kind of goes around it. He looks it over and uh, then he uh, calls the cops from his uh, car phone in the Schuster van. And, you know, I lived in 1988. I don't necessarily remember car phones being uh, popular. Uh, We never had one. I did know one kid when I played Little League. His father had a car phone, which... Well, they were very fascinating. I don't think his ever worked. At least it didn't work the time me and his son were in the car and he tried to use it. But I don't know. Maybe there was a, a trick to it that he didn't know. So we learned at this point that the uh, fake Superboy's name is Hugo. And he is uh, Miss Florida's ex-boyfriend. 
again, her, her name is uh, Jennifer Jenkins. I didn't catch her name right away, I guess. As through my notes, I tended to refer to her, her as uh, Miss Florida. And she told Hugo she'd marry him if he had a million dollars. Well, Mr. Low IQ Superboy Hugo here thought that she actually meant that and that he had to go get a million dollars, which apparently he did. Well, he, well, through nefarious means, but he did it nonetheless. Well, so as he drags her out of the arena there, kicking and screaming, she screams that she won't marry him for all the money in the world, and uh, blah, 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 blah. He, she's screaming and kicking. He's running. TJ's down for the count. After he fails miserably to uh, save the day, Hugo is clearly not marriage material. He's not necessarily free man material either. So with TJ down on the ground, Hugo drives off with uh, his ex-girlfriend, Miss Florida, Jennifer Jenkins. So at this point, Superboy is flying. We got a nice shot of an Eastern Airlines plane. I don't believe there's any significance to this plane, but I guess it's product placement. Because I don't even think the airport comes into play. So Superboy comes up to TJ, and uh, TJ tells Superboy what he overheard. And again, Superboy is after the van. And wherever they're going, it's, a cr- it's on the other side of the river. Literally over the river, and maybe even through the woods. So this is an impressive pile of money that Rudy, uh, which is Hugo's partner, is counting. And uh, maybe it's the million bucks that... Hugo needs to get Jennifer to marry him. I don't know. So, for right now, Rudy is going to stay with Miss Florida, and Hugo is going to go look for a minister. If this guy knew what he was doing at all, he'd have had the minister there already. You know, that way he could have gotten himself married and uh, not have to leave Rudy and Miss Florida alone together. Or, at the very least, uh, put Hugo off on his own, because this is how Superboy catches up to him. And I do kind of like this, because, you know, Superboy is not really using his fist here. He's, uh, which... Would be bullying, a little bit at least. (laughs) Superboy is turning the drawbridge as Hugo drives across it. And Superboy and Hugo are going to have a quote-unquote fair fight. And Hugo thinks he can actually win this thing. You know, Superboy using his powers means a certain thing. But what people like Hugo tend to forget is there are some powers he can't turn off. Like, for instance, you can't turn off invulnerability. You can't turn off, really, super hearing, as we're going to find out down the line. They can have all the fair fight they want, but Hugo cannot hurt Superboy with a punch. So, a fair fight is not a possibility at all. So, Hugo figures out that Superboy can't turn off his invulnerability as uh, Superboy just kind of lets himself get punched while making uh, glass jaw and feet of clay jokes, which uh, gave me indigestion. (laughs) But this ending is... Rather, be using a Superboy just kind of moves out of the way, and Hugo kind of just runs off the bridge. And in exchange for saving him, saving his life, he tells him where Jennifer is. But of course, uh, Superboy didn't save uh, Hugo's life until Hugo kind of released him from the rules of the fight. If he's not allowed to use the superpowers, he can't save Hugo. And that's also something that's going to uh, come up in the same ep- low as the clock episode that I uh, referenced where Superman gets arrested. Uh, Something happens in the jail cell. I'm not going to spoil it now. I'll get to that in a year or so. And Superman can't use his powers to help him. And, uh, well, we never actually see what the result of that was. But it's very cheesy, which is what you would expect from this show at this moment in its history. So, Miss Florida, whose name is Jennifer, shows up at the pageant at the last minute to receive her crown. She would have forfeited had she not uh, shown up uh, right away. I guess there's no uh, clause in uh, the show rules for kidnapping you have to be there regardless so she gets there at the last minute receives her crown while clark kind of stumbles to his seat and awkwardly climbs in as this older woman next to him just kind of makes flirting eyes at him honestly this older woman next to clark kind of gave me the creeps a little bit but you know overall that's the end of it this was not a good episode the fake hero is a tired trope but it can be done when it's executed well but this is not good this is not a very good execution of that trope the car chase was better done than I expected, but like I mentioned before when I talked about it, it went on too long. And Superboy just does also make some weird decisions in this episode, so it is an episode that I am happy to move on from, let's just say that. But at this point, another podcast promo break. When I come back, we'll finish this episode off with The Fixer. Hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? 
You start lead officers, now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will surely become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Going to finish this episode off with The Fixer. Original broadcast date was November 26, 1988. This was episode 8 of season 1. This was directed by Colin Silvers, who I talked a little bit about last time we, we did one of his episodes. Episode was written by Alden Schwimmer. Guest cast includes Harry Burney as the referee, James Ke- Carl J. Cofield as Moose, James Hampton as coach, Michael Landon Jr. as Stretch. I thought he looked a little familiar. Michael Mano as Leo. Curly Neal as State Coach. Ron Segal as the Umpire. Scott Wells was Lex Luthor. And Tanya Roberts was the College Student. And our synopsis is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The episode begins with the fixer, Lex Luthor, on the phone in his golf cart placing bets against the Schuster University basketball team. Well, Mr. Superstar, first pick in the basketball draft, I drove you again. And do you know why? No. Because golf takes brains. Just like making money takes brains. So you leave it to me and we'll both come out okay. Please, Lex, don't make me do it. Make you do it? Make you do what? Lose. Lose? You call winning the money losing? <laughs> you call thrilling all those people with your dribbling and passing? Shooting and rebounding, losing? You call missing a few extra shots or dropping a key pass or, or committing a silly foul. Losing? I call it human. You keep the money. I don't want it. Splendid. Then I can play to win? You can do what I tell you. State beats our heroic Schuster in the big game. Giving you a chance to control your own destiny. If I tell what I know, you'll be out of the game. Out of luck. And out of school. And then, I'm going to kill you. So later at practice, uh, Stretch is practicing so poorly that the coach suggests he uh, go home. What's your problem, Sam? No problem. Can't be perfect all the time. Hey, I know that we ask a lot out of you, but you always deliver. Yeah, well, what if I can't? What if I'm just plain lousy? Hey, take it easy, son. No, easy for you. It's not so damn easy for me. I mean, all I ever hear is, you can do it, Stretch. You can do it, Stretch. You can do it, Stretch. Do it. Hey, relax. It's just another game. Look, forget about today's practice. You go home and get some rest, huh? So I'll talk to you later. Okay, now look, I want you to drive. Stretch, what's going on? Not now, Clark. You already got your big scoop of the day. Bit stars, whining crybaby. Don't be so hard on yourself, man. You led the team all season. All you have to do is give it your best shot. I shot my best shot a long time ago. Hey, I know you. You'll do great. And if I help that Luther rat. Because of the comment, Clark knows something's up with Lex, so he goes to see him at his estate. Lex is sharing a jacuzzi with a few ladies when Clark arrives. I assume you've come to apologize for all the nasty things you write about me in the Schuster Herald. Nasty but true. My job is to report the truth, be it nasty or nice. That's why I'm here. What truth do you seek for? You are the resident maker of the odds. So I am. Get this down. Ra, ra, ra. Sis, boom, ba. Go, Schuster. <laughs> Is that enough? 
How about the game? Are you predicting a victory? There is no doubt as to the outcome. Did you bet on it? I never gamble. What I do is invest capital, and only when a large return is assured. What about the game? Is that a good investment? That, my dear fellow Schusterian, is privileged information. It is available only to the paid-up subscribers to the Lex Luthor Letter, my financial advisory service. Hello? Who? Lex? Oh, uh, hold on. Lex Luthor here. Well. Would you excuse me for just a second? This is a personal call. Wait around if you'd like. While Lex is gone, Clark takes a peek at several screens on Lex's portable computer. Clark finds that Lex is betting $10,500 on state to win against three other gamblers who are betting on Schuster. When we switch scenes, Lex is once more threatening Stretch, and this time Stretch is sitting by a pond in front of the school when Lex confronts him. Clark, Lon, and TJ are nearby, and Clark decides to listen in. Once he understands what's going on, Clark uses his super breath to knock Lex into the water. The three friends find Lex romping around with Leo all wet and angry, hilarious, as do several students nearby. Lex beats on Leo again for somehow failing him as the villains leave, and Clark and friends approach Stretch. Well, here's friends. This is an unofficial visit. Not reporters. I could use some. Okay, friends, speak to me. Don't do it. Don't do what? Luther, man, he'll never let you go. How'd you find out? You were careless. It's, it's almost as if you wanted to be stopped. Yeah, now I am. Stopped, finished, and washed up. Well, um, can you tell us about it? I mean, maybe we can help. He kept inviting me to his parties. And Lex, he doesn't take no for an answer. So I went. What do you know? It was fun. So they started passing around a joint, and everybody was taking hits on it. So what, right? I mean, even the big judges do it. <laughs> Not if they want to be bigger judges. I took a few drags. I mean, it's not like you're trying out for the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, he showed me some 8x10 glossies. Pictures of me getting stoned. That's Lex for you. Never without his hidden camera. Yeah, well, my host, Mr. Luther, promised to make me front-page news. If I didn't mess up enough to have State Beach Schuster. Yeah, he always keeps a promise. Except when he lies. Tell me what to do, Clark. It's your future. It's your life. You got to make the call. The big game against State is upon us, and now we see that Stretch has decided to play to win. However, another player, one called Moose, is also in Lex's pocket, and he begins messing up in Stretch's place. At the half, Schuster is down by three, and the coach tells Moose he'll sit out the second half. Then on their way out of the locker room, Clark steps in and knocks Moose unconscious, effectively taking him out of the game a second time, since the coach has already removed him. When the game commences, Lex and Leo wonder where Moose is, when Lex sends Leo to check, they discover Moose is sleeping in the back. All is not lost for Luthor, however, as he tells Leo to keep his eye on the referee. The ref has already been and continues to make erroneous calls on Schuster, but Clark notices and calls him aside. If I were a gambler, I'd have a safe bet. You're on Lex's payroll to make sure State beats Schuster. Where'd you get that? I can't reveal my source, but I'll keep it out of the Herald. If you take that money Lex gave you to start a new life and never, ever referee another game in any sport anywhere. Deal? Yeah. Deal. Spotting two phone boots down the hall outside the gym, Clark decides to become a superboy. With a smile, he rushes into one of the boots and spins, and spins around. Clark's clothes melting away to nothing and exposing his superboy digs underneath. Clark then runs into the gym as superboy. Ladies and gentlemen, forgive the intrusion. The referee cannot continue. He's got a uh, crook in his back. Since I have somewhat of a reputation for fairness and I'm relatively fast on my feet, I'm volunteering to referee the remainder of the game. Are there any objections from the coaches or the players? No, let's play ball. So as the game continues, Fast on his feet, Superboy flies up and down the court to follow the action. The team play fairly and pretty evenly back and forth now that they have no further influences, and then there's a timeout called by Schuster. 11 seconds left to play. State leads 71-70. Yeah. Now we take care of Stretch. Get these down to the press table and let the world know what a doper he really is. Lex, we're going to win. There's only a couple seconds left. Why not leave Stretch alone? Just get going. Timeout, Schuster. 
Must have been pretty hot pictures, huh, Leo? With just nine seconds left, Stretch takes the ball, moving swiftly into an open spot. He takes the shot just as time runs out. The crowd holds its breath as the ball spins around on the rim, and then it drops through the hoop and shoots through and wins. Congratulations to State for a well-played, hard-fought game. And congratulations to Schuster for a well-played, hard-fought victory. I've been asked to announce that the game ball is going to a non-player. Lex Luthor, where are you, Lex? For your tireless efforts in researching the game and for your most valuable numbers and statistics. Congratulations, Lex. The students and faculty would also like to thank Lex Luthor for his valuable contribution of $5,000 toward the purchase of a new computer to help keep the team's stats. TJ and Alana celebrate saying how great it is that Superboy not only made sure the game was fair, but, but that he also managed to squeeze money out of the villain. We won! I know! Where were you? I was in the locker room. I heard it on the radio. Coach kicked Moose off the team. He was asleep in the dressing room. Whew. Wow, that's great. I mean, that's great action for everybody but Stretch. I mean, Lex is going to take that on him. No, I made a deal with Lex. He destroys the negatives that he made of Stretch's dumb escapade, and we destroy the video that you made of him soliciting Moose to throw the game. Wait, what video? I... The one you were going to make if we needed it. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm really proud of you, Clark. Even though I can't jump over tall buildings? Well, I bet Superboy can do more than that. Like run faster than a speeding bullet? I think you're jealous of Superboy. Oh, right, me jealous. Yeah, you jealous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a pretty detailed synopsis, to say the least. Like I said, this is a better episode than I expected it to be after having seen it, you know, several years ago. This is really the last episode I remember before I fell off. So, we got a basketball game going on here. It looks like the shirts versus the skins here. You know, as you often would in a pickup game, uh, even now, I guess, during the summer. Lex Luthor is the bookie in this episode, and I get, and that's good. that makes him the fixer. And uh, Lex has a cordless phone and a golf cart in 1988. I didn't even know those things existed in 1988. But I guess if you have enough money, you can get one. So the star basketball player here is on the Lex's thumb, and uh, Lex is going to have him throw the upcoming game against State. He doesn't want to do it, and we're not going to find out until later exactly what Lex has over him. So Lex knows something that will get the star player. The synopsis has already told us what it is, and Lex threatens Stretch's life. So early on, things are not looking good for uh, Mr. Stretch. I had a note that the coach uh, looked uh, familiar, but uh, I'm guessing if I placed him anywhere, he was Mr. Malatesta in Full House for only three episodes. But I tell you, my kids, uh, especially Haley, have watched enough Full House in my presence that I that that's got to be where I recognized him from. Because just looking at his IMDb, I really don't see anything else that I would have watched that he was on. Oh, he was Hannibal Dobbs in F-Troop. But that was in the 60s. He looked a lot different back then. His hair was a little blonder. But I definitely did watch uh, watch that when I was a kid. Well, anyway, back to 1988. This is not an F-True podcast. So Stretch is uh, freaking out over the game. But obviously the coach doesn't know what the truth is. And uh, Clark is trying to uh, bump up Stretch's confidence a little bit. But Stretch isn't having it. And as he walks away, he kind of whispers this comment from Stretch about helping that Luther rat. So Clark knows something's up. He approaches Lex, who apparently has some kind of reputation on campus, and Clark has uh, written some uh, nasty things. And uh, Clark also seems to know Lex is an odds maker. So Clark has definitely come to the right place. And here we got Leo, who is definitely the oldest of this episode, as he uh, put on Lex's uh, jacket on before he got out of the pool. So that very Superman the movie-ish. And uh, we have far too many shots of... Leo in his zebra print bikini. And uh, like I said, this technology here is uh, pretty advanced for 1988. He's got an old style laptop on the beach table there that he uses in his odd. Uh, and then the visuals just kind of go from bad to worse. And the next thing we see after Clark and Lex's exchange is Leo again with his uh, zebra print speedo shading Lex with a parasol. I should have watched this episode with a bucket next to me because. Bleh. So, as Clark leaves, Lex makes some kind of comment about Lana's love life, and uh, Lex apparently has a rich father by his own comments, so I don't necessarily know if this bases him on a post-crisis Lex Luthor. 
He's obviously wealthy, well-to-do. But as I remember, the the uh, post-crisis Lex Luthor's parents were pretty poor, and Lex gains his fortune through rather nefarious means. So Clark and Lotta and TJ encounter Lex talking to Stretch. Clark hears Lex threaten Stretch, and in a funny moment, Clark lightly blows Lex into the water. I like a little bit of uh, passive aggra- aggressiveness from Clark, and it makes Lex the uh, butt of jokes for a few minutes. You know he's not going to take that lion down. So now we hear what happened. Stretch went to one of Lex's parties, lit up a joint, and Lex took some pictures. So Lex is blackmailing Stretch. No surprise there. Again, like the synopsis mentioned, uh, no uh, real comment on the fact that Lex threatened uh, Stretch's life. I'm not sure why Lex would need to threaten uh, Stretch's life if he's already got the blackmail photos, but there it is. And uh, so here is the, this other athlete. Uh, this is Moose, who is tired of playing second fiddle to Stretch. He wants to make Stretch look bad, and he's going to happily take whatever payoff Lex is offering here. So now we go to the answer of the basketball game. Schuster is winning, and Lex grabs a bullhorn, and that is his signal to Moose. And Moose is just doing all kinds of stuff to lose this game for Schuster. He's throwing the ball out of bounds. He's dropping passes. And none of this looks in the slightest bit believable. If you're actively trying to lose a game, it would behoove you to make it look good. Don't just, you know, knock down passes that are thrown right to you because I'm not necessarily sure I would believe that. And honestly, I am surprised the coach took as long as he did to pull Moose off the court. I mean, there's not playing well and there's being obviously terrible. Moose is not very good at being terrible and he doesn't look right doing it. So... It is apparent that Lex only needs State to win. There's no point spread to overcomplicate things. So as long as State wins, Lex is good. So now it's halftime. And uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with uh, college basketball, college basketball only has two halves. It does not have four quarters like high school in the NBA. Just two halves. So that was why it only said a one after uh, next to the clock, if you even noticed that. But the writers were on top of things enough to realize that College basketball only has two 20-minute halves, no uh, quarters. So TJ is shooting the halftime discussion, which would ordinarily not happen. Press is only allowed in the locker room at certain at certain times, usually before or after games, although now with this uh, coronavirus thing going on, which, honestly, by the time this episode drops, I'm recording this on March 14th, maybe it's passed by now, I don't know. Right now, we're at the uh, very beginning of it, and it's, Kind of making this allergy attack that I'm having right now uh, seem a little suspect, but, you know, it is what it is. Allergies are allergies, and they always come at this time of year. Maybe a little bit sooner than usual because we seem to be having an early spring. But, again, the press would not be in the locker room at halftime. So, TJ should not be in there. I don't know why Coach doesn't kick TJ out, but the bottom line, the coach talking and the guy sitting around the locker room are not compelling sports photos. At a time when we're still... Dealing primarily with film, it's kind of a waste to have TJ doing this. So, anyway, Clark comes out of the side of the locker room and uh, takes out Moose. Looks like he must have been hiding in the shower or something. So, when Moose doesn't come out of the locker room for the second half, Lex sends Leo to find him. But we're going to find out that Lex also has the referee in his pocket. And you can tell this as soon as he started making bad calls. You know, two uh, bad calls against Schuster and what appears to be an unnecessary technical foul. This bad refereeing, this bad refereeing. You could tell a lot of this bad refereeing is suddenly deliberate. So, what happens next is a little too easy. Clark gets a hold of the referee during a timeout, makes him an offer he can't refuse, that he just takes Lex's money and start a new life and never ref again. This guy doesn't even try to deny it. He just runs at this college student's word. Which, again, I'm actually having a hard time buying that could happen. Really? He's not afraid of a student? But he runs out of that gym like a thief in the night. So now Clark is going to change into Superboy in a phone booth by spinning. And he comes out with a whistle, and he's going to be a special guest referee. Leo is smiling when this happened, but Luther's irritated. Superboy mentions that the uh, previous ref had a crook in his back, and he's going to take over, which would not be allowed in a game of this level. Referees have to be certified, and uh, Superboy is not. Just being fair does not qualify you to coach a men's college basketball game. But it's Superboy, and he's going to fly to each end of the court because he can. So, he's refing. He finds the envelope next to the state coach of stretch smoking spot and he burns it destroying lex's evidence and then superboy gets one over lex after shoots to win as he gives him the game ball 
had committed to Lex to giving Schuster $5,000 for a new computer system for the basketball team to keep stats. So Lana is proud of Clark for coming up with a plan to defeat Lex, even if the pictures didn't get destroyed, which obviously we know they did. So, like I said before, this is one of the last episodes I watched. It might even be the last episode I watched before before falling off, and it's better than I remember. I was engaged the entire episode. Sure, the stuff with Superboy refs the final 10 minutes were a little hokey, but other than that, it's a pretty good episode. You know, it's the kind of story I'd probably expect out of a Silver or Bronze Age comic book. But Lex does get away with it, and but Superboy does put a stop to the scheme. So he was, at the very least, effectual in that uh, in that way. So, good episode. Next time, back to Ruby Spears with the Superman story, Wild Shark, and the Superman family album story, To Play or Not to Play. And then the, the Superman story, Night of the Living Shadows, and the family album story, The Guardian. Till then, if you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Till next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.